All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kabbalah Cafe. All right, this is a very, very special edition because, and I'll tell you this, if you saw the email on Friday, so again, if you, have, if you don't get the email on Friday, let me know, let me get you on that list. If you did get the email on Friday, you will have noticed that the title of today's class is The Dark Side of the Moon, which was a song by Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. Yes, Pink Floyd. Um, dark si- the Dark Side of the Moon is all about the lunar calendar, which is connected with Rosh Chodesh. And guess what today is? Today is Rosh You can't make this stuff up by divine providence and by my masterminding. No, I'm kidding. By divine providence, today is the first day of the month, the new moon. You know, we Jews love to howl at the moon. And when I say howl at the moon, I mean we, we operate. We uh, don't actually howl at the moon, but we operate by the lunar calendar, which we will speak about extensively today. So there's no better time than Rosh Chodesh, which Rosh Chodesh literally means the head of the Rosh's head. Chodesh is month. Rosh Chodesh literally means the head of the month, i.e. the first day of the month, which is again connected with the lunar cycle. This is the day in which we refer to it as the birth of the moon. Now, spoiler alert, the moon didn't go anywhere when we couldn't see it. But at least vi- from, on a visible uh, uh, spectrum or perspective, the moon is now re-emerging into the visibility within the sky. All right, so that's what Rosh Chodesh is. And it's the first day of the Jewish month. It's always aligned with the moon. But before we get into lunar versus solar, um, you guys heard about this new lunar-powered electricity stuff? Yeah, neither have I. So anyway, before we get... Tough crowd this morning. Before we get into lunar versus solar, we are going to talk about the difference between coal and a Flintstone. Now, we could have gone Flintstones, Jetsons, right? We could have gone that debate, but we're not. We're going to go coal. Who remembers Flintstones and Jetsons, right? Who thought, okay, I'm going to keep my hand raised because I know my question, I know my answer. Who thought that at this point we would have those little flying things with the glass dome. That was totally, totally realistic in my childhood 80s worldview. I digress. Back to the story. The difference between coal and a flintstone. Now, when I say a flintstone, I mean like, you know, one of those stones that you strike to produce fire. What's the difference between a hot coal and a flintstone? Sounds like a joke, but it's not. So the way Kabbalah explains this, and it's obviously based on what we experience, if you have a very hot coal, imagine you have a very hot coal, do not touch it with your hands, right? Hold it with a tong or with a mother's safety equipment. Take a piece of paper and put it on that hot coal. What's going to happen to the paper? It's going to ignite. Fire. If you put the right kindling things, like, I don't know what, like straw and then some, some twigs, and then you can create a fire. From a hot coal, you can create a fire, right? I should probably... Um, I should probably um, uh, give a PSA, Smokey the Bear, right? Only you can prevent only you can prevent forest fires. Therefore, if you're grilling out in nature, make sure to make sure that your coals are extinguished fully, because otherwise that can cause great damage. Correct? Hot coals, great damage. However, by contrast, by contrast, think about a stone, a flint stone. And I mentioned Flintstone specifically. Why? Because that, those are the stones that are used typically for igniting. 
right? So what do you do? Anybody, any campers or any, not campers, anyone? Wilderness peoples, yes. Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, yeah, okay, good. So what do you do when you have a stone? When you, when you want to make a fire, so you could rub two Twigs. sticks together, old school. Or if you have a flintstone, what do you do? Help me out here. You strike it. You take what? You take a, um, a sharp item, a sharp object. Yeah, you strike it. And what happens is, uh-oh, we got kids on the loose. Um, here in this show, no way. Yeah, no, but I was told that they shouldn't go into the classrooms because that could be a problem. Um, anybody mind? Uh, yeah, if you don't mind redirecting them. Thank you very much. Sam, you're doing God's work. All right, so getting back to the story. That would be amazing. <laughs> if, only, if only we were properly equipped. <laughs> What's wrong with this place? So back to the story. So you have the stone, the flintstone, and you need to strike it to produce the spark that will then produce the fire. So you can get fire from both. Now, the fire that is produced by both is the identical fire. In other words, once you have the fire, you can't tell. You wouldn't be able to reverse engineer the fire and say, this fire came from a hot coal. This fire came from a flintstone. You wouldn't be able to reverse engineer it. Once you have a fire, huh? You make, your point is well taken. However, it is incorrect. The fire department can reverse engineer. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, yes. All right, yes. Okay, but we're talking. point is well taken. We're talking about investigating. Yes, correct. Right. No, you're right. You could, re you could discover the origins of fire, which reminds me of a podcast that I once heard, a true crime podcast of this firefighter or fire investigator in California who was a prolific arsonist. You guys heard about this story years ago? Anyway, do I own up, but I want to say focus. But yes, you're right. But in the fire itself, so you're cooking. You want to cook, you're outdoors, you're cooking, either it's a coal or whether it's a, through a flintstone. Either way, it produces a spark, you're getting the fire, and that's it. Now, what's the difference, though, between the source of, in, in the two, between the two sources, the two options, the coal or the flintstone? Here's the difference. The difference is that the coal carries its potential fire very close to the surface. And what I mean by that is, if you touch the coal, the hot coal, you're going to get burned. Because the fire, even though you don't see outwardly, you don't see a flaming fire, it's a white hot coal. So even though you don't see the fire, but the heat is right there on the surface. As opposed to the stone, you can touch it, you can handle it, put it into your pocket. It's not going, it's not hot, it's not going to burn anything until you strike it. Which reminds us the following, that in life, there are different sets of abilities that we have. Some abilities are right there on the surface, like that hot coal, like that white hot coal. In other words, it's not yet, um, the, the fire is not yet fully developed. You don't see the fire, but the latency is right there. It's right there, it's ready to go. And the moment you put anything by a piece of paper, a little twig, it's gonna catch on and explode in fire. There are other soul powers that we have that are a little bit more dormant, a little bit more reserved inside of us. The only way for those abilities to come out, striking. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. It's like what they say, um, necessity is the mother of invention, right? I'm sure you've heard that before. What does that mean? It means when you're in a crisis, you get very creative. How come you didn't, how, why weren't you so creative without the crisis? Because sometimes, 
the deep recesses of creativity or other powers that we have inside only come to the fore when there's a moment of crisis. So when, when there's something that is very pressing or very important or very whatever. I called to you twice. I figured you'd already One second. When, something, when there's something that happens that is very, um, when something happens to us that's very pressing, so then those powers, those deepest powers come out. So here's how it works, the way Kabbalah maps the soul. Because last week, as you recall, we talked about the 10 spherot energies in the cosmos as well as the 10 soul powers within each of us with this chart. And I'm going to reference to it again today, but again, here is the nukuda, here's the point. Some soul powers are on the surface, ready to go, ready to ignite into fire, ready to produce heat and warmth, ready to go. Other soul powers are a little bit more, maybe not only a little bit more, are, are, are more on the inside. And in order for those powers to come out, you have to really give it a zets, you have to really... Right? You have to really strike it out into, into being. So the wake up, and let's pass these around today. Again, I know we did this extensively last week, but we're, gonna, we're going to do a quick review on this. And I want to compare and contrast. Thank you very much. Compare and contrast. Review or test? These, no test. <laughs> uh, put away your number two pencils. You will not need them for today. So um, what we're gonna, going to do is, um, what we're going to do is take a look at these energies and see exactly what, uh, exactly which ones are um, a latency that's ready to go and ones that are, that are not so ready to go. Rabbi, yes. I actually made a fire last weekend. And then made a what? I made a bow drill fire. What's a bow drill fire? It's, hey. uh, you have, uh, you put a piece of a little cylinder of wood in a, uh, like a bow. Okay. And, and like a bow and arrow bow. And yeah. You wrap it around. And then you have a piece of wood on top, a piece of wood on the bottom, and then you're you're spinning the spindle back and forth. Really? And then what it does is it creates a lot of uh, ash, and then when the ash builds up, a fine, fine ash, it'll create a cold because the ash will be hot and then it'll collect. And so it's wood and air. Interesting. Combining to create fire. And Interesting. Pressure. So that might be a hybrid. Hybrid between right. service and the, yeah. So the, why don't you just get yourself a big <laughs> Right? Seems like, cut out the middleman. No, so it's interesting. So, and all of, all of that, all, everything that I've told you thus far today is all literally in Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy. It talks about the cold, the kachelet. It talks about the tzorah chalamish. talks about the, uh, the flintstone. All of this, this, this uh, comparison and, and contrast is all well-sourced in Kabbalah. So now, uh, as you have, and I put it up on the screen as well, now that we have this chart in front of us, just a quick review, there are three intellectual soul powers, seven emotional. What's interesting, though, is that the final one, Malchut, as, as I pointed out last week, is a little bit separate from the group. There's like this group, which is like almost in a form of a body, as it were, and then you have Malchut, which is a little bit disconnected. And the reason for this is because Malchot is fundamentally different. Remember highlights for kids? Oh, I love highlights. Right? Great. Great classic Americana entertainment. So what's highlights? Highlights was this kid's magazine. But my favorite page was the Spot the Difference page. Remember that? They had two pictures. And you had a... Yes? I'm not, I'm not right? That's Go correct. On. You had a, exactly what you're talking about. There you about. go. So you had a Spot the Difference. And like, oh, look... Um, 
Mary has, yeah, oh, she has a bow with three flowers, and there that she has a bow with two flowers, or whatever it was, and you would note, note the distinction, and that was uh, great fun for all, fun for the whole family. Here's the point. Um, Kabbalah compares and contrasts different energies and explains why one is not like the other. Why is Malchut different than the other energies? It seems like they're all, they're all uh, kind of congruent with each other. You have love, discipline, compassion, ambition, devotion, or humility. You have bonding or communication, relationships, and then you have leadership. It seems like one of the seven and, 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 and similar. But the way, and I started explaining this last week, the way Kabbalah explains Malchut, leadership, is in a, a very radical way, in a very unique way, in a way that really highlights the distinction between that energy and the other energies. All of the other energies can be self-produced. Why? Because the energy, those powers lie within the soul on the surface ready to go. Which means you don't need anyone around you to be inspired to, to kindness. You can be at home alone and you can be inspired to kindness and then go out of your home and seek someone to, with whom to, uh, to, to express your kindness. So yes, the expression of kindness requires someone else. But the generation, the development, or the, the um, internal desire to be kind is self-generated. Likewise, discipline, compassion, all of the other six of the red energies, they're all self-initiated, self-generated, and really self-oriented. Even if its expression requires another subject, it's really about self. When I'm giving, when I am giving chesed love, it's me who's giving. I need a recipient, right? But that's almost like a secondary thing. I want to give. Who am I going to give to? Right? It's like, it's secondary, slightly. Malchut is fundamentally different. Malchut, again, is leadership and it's not dictatorship. Yes, someone can have a power trip on their own and say, who can I dominate today? Who can I, whose life can I make miserable? Who can I boss around today? That is absolutely a very ugly self, uh, uh, self-generated trait. But that's not what Malchut is. Malchut leadership is by definition, not by experience, but by definition, Malchut is a response to a need. When there's someone who's in a need, right? Someone's in a need of guidance and that evokes within you the, that leadership, that sense of responsibility to that other, that's what Malchut is. It's kind of like parenting. Right? When, you, when you're looking at a child for the first time, right, into those eyes, those small, innocent eyes, and you realize, well, wait a second, who's going to take care of this child if not me? Right? That evokes a sense of leadership. Again, leadership is a broad term. It could be within ourselves. It could be whatever, within our family unit, within our community, etc. But the big idea here is that leadership is not self-generated. It's always... Um, generated or stirred by the other that needs, that almost needs and, and, and is asking for that leadership and guidance. Which is why in, in, uh, in, in Jewish terminology we say, the famous classic phrase, Ein melech below am. There is no king without a nation, without a people. Why, why can't you be a king by yourself? Why not? Because then you're not a king. You're something else, but you're not a king. You're something else, you're not a leader. It's not a king. Unless 
there are those who ask you to be in that space, in that position, it's not, it's not what it is. It's not the leadership that it is. Yeah. Last week, didn't you say that this little hanging thing, hanging chad, also comes back up to the top? Yeah, we're going to get there in a second. We're going to get there. We're going to. leader? Yeah, we're going to. Yeah, I'm going to retrace that in a okay. second, in a second. But I first want to develop this idea that I don't think I highlighted enough last week. The idea that Malchot is a responsive power that is literally generated as a response to a need, to a need, by, uh, to a need um, of others. Whereas Chesed is your Chesed, your love, Gvur is your discipline, Teferet is your compassion. It's all about you. Malchut is always generated by the other, which is why, again, I said this last week, Moshe, Moses, who's asked to be the first Jewish leader. There were great Sandikim, there were great righteous people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were not asked to be leaders. The first person in the Torah and the Bible who was asked to be a leader was Moses. And what does he say? No. Why? He doesn't want to be a leader. He doesn't feel the need to be a leader. But when the need is presented and articulated, and when God puts his foot down, when God puts his foot down, you kind of have to say yes, then Moses, Moses acquiesces. Leadership is something that is born of, of a need. It's not something that's self-generated. Again, dictatorship, bossiness, that can, be ugly, that, that can be self-generated in an ugly way. But real, what we would call servant leadership, Selfless dedication to the other is why would somebody, why would somebody sacrifice their own self-interest for someone else? Why would anyone be a parent is really what I'm asking. Makes no sense. Why would somebody sacrifice their sleep at night for a small person? Makes no sense. Because they'll grow up eventually and you won't have to. Not, okay, you're saying play the long game. But why... It's something that's born, uh, it's, it's some, something that comes from a need. In other words, when I say the need, the need of the child, I guess I'm not explaining why people choose to have children. I guess that's another conversation. But once a child is there, that evokes the sense of malchot, of leadership. It's a servant leadership. It's a selfless, selfless uh, uh, leadership. But that's always evoked by the other. So again, bring it back to the coal and the flintstone. All of the other six, the first six energies, we would call those, those coal powers. I know they're soul powers, but they're also soul coal powers in the sense that those energies are right there on the surface, ready to go. Chesed, ready to go. Ready to burst out of the gate. Gvura, ready to go, ready to be applied, etc. Malchut, you got to strike it. You got to bring it out. You don't, have to, you don't have to convince anybody to be a boss, to be bossy. To be, you know, to be mean. That people can, can go to right away. But to really be a selflessly dedicated servant leader, someone who really cares about the other, someone who feels a responsibility toward another, that's going to require a little bit more prodding to get someone to buy into that. Why would I buy into being selflessly dedicated to you? That makes no sense. You worry about you, I worry about me. You want me to be worried about you? That requires some striking. Are you with me on this? But we all have the ability to be a leader, i.e. to be selflessly dedicated to the other, but that requires a little bit stirring from the other to, uh, to bring it out. Hence, ein melech below am. If you want a king, 
You have to have the people who are kind of coronating the king. By the way, according to Kabbalah, that's what we do Rosh Hashanah. That's what the role of the shofar is. What's the role of the shofar? Awakening. Oh, it's, it's evoking the desire for Hashem to be king. Right? Once again. It's, that, it's the coronation. It's like, can you imagine Charles? Right? Imagine Charles. He's waiting for decades to be the king. Right? He knows he's next in line. Waiting patiently, taking care of his mother. Patiently. Taking care of his mother, yeah, I can imagine. No, no, he was. I think he was a good son. I don't think he was. If so, he did a bad job because she lived a very long time. Can I know her? Yeah. So anyway, all right. But either way, the point is like this. Can you imagine what it feels like to be, to, to, to be coronated and to have, I, I didn't actually see the clips of the coronation. Were there millions of people there or thousands, hundreds of thousands of people there? At least a hundred. <laughs> tons of people. Imagine being at a space where you have so many people, so many people that are looking at you and saying, we want you as king. We want, you can't help but feel, you feel like the king. You feel like the king. Everyone's calling you the king. You feel like the king. That's the way it works. So what's the point? Malchut is generated by the other and by the needs of the other. Whereas, whereas the other energies are self-generated. They, they are coal energies. Malchut is flintstone energies. Bam, bam. Right? It's the flintstone energy that you have to strike to bring out. That's the way that works. In addition, Malchut is also the way it's described in, 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 uh, in Kabbalah, in Zohar, Leis la migarme klum. Which means Malchut has nothing of its own. It is but a recipient. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's the recipient of the desire of others that, that that one should be their leader. But in addition to that, when you look at Malchut from this hierarchical perspective, it's the lowest of the energies, right? And thus it receives its energy within from those higher energies. Leis la migame klum, or leit la migame klum means that it doesn't have anything of its own meaning. It doesn't emanate, it doesn't shine its own light, only the light that it has been given. The analogy or the example of this on a cosmic level, when I say cosmic, I mean physical level, cosmic level, is the moon. The moon, also does not have anything of its own, i.e. it doesn't have its own light. The moon does not even, when you're looking outside at this nighttime sky and you see the moon shining, you, know, you and I know this, that is not a luminescent orb. The moon does not have its own light. The moon is not a sun. The moon is not glowing of its own light. It is rather reflecting the light of the other. So it doesn't have its own light. It has nothing of its own. But because it has nothing of its own, it can perfectly reflect a light greater than itself. Does that make sense? Because when you get in the way, you can no longer reflect. I'll give you an example. I'm going to quote the great uh, Matisio. <laughs> Remember Matisio? Not the Maccabee, Matisio. <laughs> the Hasidic reggae superstar, superstar Matisio. Remember Matisio? 
Yeah, uh, once Hasidic, always Hasidic. Come on, he's still Hasidic. He's Hasidic. Anyway, um, he slept on our couch once. Yeah. He's a tall guy. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't fully fit on the couch. Huh? Yeah, in town. Yeah. Did a concert. Uh, where was that? On North. What was it? No, what was that concert place on North? They tore it down. Masquerade. Yes, yeah, but this was like more than a few. It was probably 10 years ago he did at Masquerade. And then like he did a concert like right before Shabbos. So he then came over and it was, yeah, yeah, it's fun. Good times. And it was a long time ago. <laughs> He's been through a lot of changes since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he still? He's on a journey. He's on a spiritual journey. He's, He's a good guy. Back to the story. So, by the way. Huh? Jews are good guys. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes, <laughs> including Matisseau. Absolutely. So Matisseau writes in one of his songs, or he sings in one of his songs, something along the lines of, I don't remember the exact lyric, uh, exact lyric, when your cup's full, it's bound to overflow. When your cup is full, it's bound to overflow. Such a powerful line. You know what it means? When you're already there, there's nowhere to go. Correct. If you're already full... You can't receive anything. The emptiest cup is the fullest cup. Wait, the emptiest cup. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> the, full, the fullest cup, right now, let me start the other way. The fullest cup is the emptiest cup. The best part of waking up is, <laughs> is Kabbalah in your cup. That's what it is. The best part of... And a mini and a mini cupcake. Well, let's pass them around again. We should pass them around. We'll do hot coffee. So pass around this way again. <laughs> so anyway, so, the, so a full cup is actually the worst. Why? You're like, oh, I have a full cup. Yeah, but that's the problem. Why? Because your full cup, your full cup is precisely the cup that can no longer contain anything else. You're maxed out. And if you're maxed out, you're not learning. You're not open. You're not going to be able to channel anything greater than yourself because I've got it all. I've got a full cup. I know everything. I've got it figured out. Whereas an empty cup is the fullest cup because an empty cup can receive, if one is constantly in a state of feeling, open and empty, not in a, not in a self um, not in, a, not in, a, in an unhealthy way of low self-esteem, but in a way of feeling open and feeling curious and, and, and listening, that is the fullest cup. Why? Because you'll always have what to, what to learn and therefore what to share. The moon does not have its own light, but because it, it allows itself to be open to a light greater than itself or to a source of light greater than itself, it therefore can reflect that light. And that's a powerful thing. Does that make sense? Malchut's power lies in the fact that it doesn't get in the way. It doesn't get in the way of the light of the sun. Imagine if it said, I don't need to reflect the sun's light. Look at me. I've got all these craters. Remember listening to an astronaut. Always listen to an astronaut. If an astronaut's talking, <laughs> no, I remember listening on a podcast to one of the guys who was on the first mission that passed by the moon. This is before the moon landing. They oh, went... The first one that saw the backside of it. Yes, them. yes. Those so they had never been seen. Never been seen before. So they went up there. That would be John Glenn. 
Maybe Jean-Glenn, was it Jean-Glenn? Was there another guy? There was like three guys on that one. Neil Armstrong, John Glenn, and... Um, no, I don't... Uh, might have been John Glenn. He was fantastic in this, in this interview. And he said that they went up, and this, they, they were preparing for this mission for a long time, for years. They go up there, and they're, go, they're, they're looking at them, and they're examining it. And it's, he said, it was ugly. It was just gray and, and cratery. And, and then they went over the other side. And they saw the earth for the first time, back around. And there's that famous picture that they took called Earthrise. You ever see that one from outer space? And you see like the, the glow of the earth and they saw, wow, that beautiful, blue, shining planet. And they realized that all of the people that have ever lived and loved and shared and created were all in that little space. And their hearts were just filled with love. And then the moon was like, okay, the moon. But anyway, but we're speak, today we're speaking about the, the moon. And the, but imagine if the moon allowed its cratership, craterosity, to get in the way. It's like, no, look at me. I'm a moon. I don't need to reflect your light. I've got my own light. By the way, people say that all the time, right? Without using the names and may have changed, but the but the but the to protect the innocent. But but the uh, the, the story is the same. And what is that story? The story is that oftentimes we say, what do I need that idea for to learn that thing? I already know this, that, or the other. And, uh, and, and we cease to reflect, we cease to shine because we are so filled with a sense of self and our own light or lack thereof. As opposed to the moon, notwithstanding the story that I just told, the moon is a good reflector of the light of the sun precisely because it doesn't get in the way. It doesn't get in the way and therefore can reflect. Imagine if the mirror got in the way and said, you know what, let's change things up a bit. <laughs> you look and say, hey, who's that? <laughs> I think we do, right, I, say, I think we do that also. Anyway, but like, it's like, to be a reflector is something very powerful because it means you're working on yourself to not get in the way. To not, your ego doesn't get in the way and you're able to reflect and shine. In leadership, this is very important. It's about not getting in the way of what's needed or get in the way of listening in a real open and active way. You know, if you have your sense of what needs to be done and you're trying to listen and you're pretending like you're listening, that's not really listening. Why? Because you have an agenda and you're allegedly listening, but you're not really listening. So the idea here is that in leadership, it's to really be open, to really be listening. And at the same time, to really be responsive to the needs of the other. That's what Malchut is. It's not like any of the other powers. It's receiving from them, and it's receiving from what's below them. You with me on this? That was, those are the two points that I mentioned this morning. Number one, Malchut is generated by what's beneath it. And Malchut receives from what's above it. But either way, Malchut doesn't get in the way. It's responsive to those that are in need, and it's also purely channeling the higher energies that, are, that lie above it. That is the energy of Malchut. Malchut is, again, connected with the moon. And the one thing that Malchut does, better than anything else, is serve as a bridge between what's higher than it and what's lower than it. What's higher than it can't fathom caring about what, what the needs are of what's beneath it. Does that make sense? Going back to this, can I borrow this for a second? Just to, just, to show it, just to show it off. These energies, these six energies, cannot 
fathom, they can't relate to the concept of, you know, what's beneath it. What's beneath it? What the other one needs? Why do I care what they need? This is what I want to give. This is what I want to do. What the, what the other needs is not my interest. That's a malchut interest. Malchut cares about the other. It also cares about what's above it. Malchut is the ultimate bridge between self and other. Malchut is the bridge between self and other. What's above Malchut is about self. What's below Malchut is all other. Malchut is the bridge between self and other. And, yes? Sorry, compassion? Compassion is, can be, sorry, compassion can be self-generated. You can be sitting at home and have a desire to be compassionate. And then find someone to be compassionate to. But what's below Malchut is the rest of creation. So Malchut would be, so past Malchut would be, in, in any context, would be what we would call the other. So if in, in leadership, it would be the other person or the other entity. So this is me, and what's, what's below this is other. The Malchut within me is that desire that is stirred by the other to channel everything to then give to the other. So what's above it is about self. What's above it, I don't need anyone else. I mean, I need someone to actually execute that, but I can feel like a good person with all of these energies, even unrealized. Like, I can feel like a kind, compassionate person without anybody else there. I don't actually have to do any chesed to feel like a good person because I had all these good intentions. I'm a kind person because when I heard about something, I felt bad, right? So aren't I a good person? And when I did something bad, I felt guilty. I'm, the, I'm a tzaddik. I'm basically... I'm basically a tzaddik because I care about people and needs and I feel bad when things go wrong. I am total tzaddik. Okay, but all that is still within us. Malchut is about actually, actually caring about the other, actually relating to the other on the other's terms, not in our own terms. On their terms, not in our terms. Malchut is the flintstone of the energies. It's the energy that is, that is, that is triggered by the other for the other, and channels the energies above it. Again, Malchut, think of Malchut as a bridge. Think of two land masses, self and other. And Malchut is that bridge that is connected there and there. When you're there, you can't imagine what it's like to be there. When you're there, you can't imagine what it's like to be there. But Malchut can understand both. It sees the entire, it sees the bigger picture. It sees what's before, it sees what's later, and it sees how to bridge the two. Make sense? So sort of. Say it again. Yes. 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 So in every world, in every spiritual world, this structure exists, and and this is what you were also mentioning as well. Let me borrow this if you don't mind. So we'll do what we did last week, which is stack them. The lowest, right? The malchut of this level becomes the keter, the crown the first point of the next layer, of the next world down. Because again, it's the bridge. It's the bridge. Surprise. No, it's the bridge that, um, <laughs> that connects. Uh, that connects. Uh, speak of, right, not surprised. My bad. Huh? Atzilut. So Kabbalah speaks of four worlds. Atzilut, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. The world of emanation, creation, formation, and action. And we live in the second half of the world of action. We live in the B League of, of action, not the A League. The A League is still spiritual. We live in the B, we live in the B League, the AAA, the double A, the single A, I don't know, whatever minor league we, uh, you know, 
uh, expressions we can use, of the world of Asiya. In every world, right, you have this structure, and it then bridges, the Malchut bridges to the next world. Every, the, the world itself is defined, let's say the world of Atzilut, the highest world. The world of Atzilut is defined by basically the first nine energies. That's what defines it itself. Malchut is as it can relate to, spawn, create, care about, bridge to, the next world down. Malchut is as this relates to that. And this relating to that, why should this relate to that? Only when that is a need of this. So then I feel that need, and therefore I'm going to respond. Respond by channeling these energies. It's, it's kind of moving things around. But, but less we think that Malchut doesn't do anything, it's just a bridge. What does a bridge do? It just lies there passively and allows cars or pedestrians or whatever to go across it, but it doesn't do anything. Malchut is very, very active. The idea to listen or the concept of listening and leading um, in a compassionate um, servant leadership style, the idea that you can take the stuff above you or outside of you, channel it through you and share it with someone else, all of that is extremely powerful and extremely active. So Malchut is not at all passive. Malchut is active, and it's the bridge between self and other, which is why Malchut is synonymous with both the moon and the feminine energy. The moon, as we said before, the, uh, um, the moon channels the light that's not its own to a world that otherwise doesn't have the light of the sun at that time. You with me on this? There was once a, uh, a teacher that asked her students, what's the joke, how does it go? Why does the moon shine at night? The student answered, because it's dark outside. No, I don't know, that's not a joke. I don't know, there was, there's some sort of joke set up in punchline there. Either way, the moon shines at night precisely when it's dark when the sun is not, when the sun does not directly hit that part of the earth, the moon is there. Right? It's like the friend song. Question. I'll be there for you. To get back to compassion, like Yes. So if you have a friend and they're in need and you go and you listen to them and you help them and you do whatever is necessary, is that malchut or to have malchut do you have to reflect all these other things at the same time? The answer is you have to reflect all those things at the same time. In other words, that is um, compassion, not the emotion of compassion, but the action of compassion. Yeah, if you're acting on compassion. Right. So the, that's the action of compassion, which would be a malchut to ferret hybrid, which means that you're malchut, you're really, you're really connecting with the other and listening to their need, but you're channeling compassion to give to the other. So that would be malchut. Anything that's actually interfacing with the other is utilizing malchut. So it doesn't need all these others. It doesn't, doesn't need, need all of the other that. nine. Correct. Although many of them are... You could, just, you could just do it with... Yeah, although it's usually, there's usually a synthesis of a few yeah. of them together. But correct, you don't need all nine every single time. Okay. Correct. Good question. Last week you said it channels everything. Right, it could, cha right. it could channel everything. Yeah, so to clarify that, it could channel all the energies. It doesn't have to channel all the energies. What's our call to ex action on all of this? What is the lesson? I mean, oh, well, we're, we're not, learning all the spheres and everything, we, but what is our call I have action? I have 25 minutes to make this relevant, to make this practical. Okay. We're right now in the, in the investigative stage. Week, but the channeling of the energies, so this is God's connection to us. We're connected to... 
all of these uh, qualities from the fact that we we exist. Say that one more time. All right. So that this, I, I was told that Malkut was God's connection to the world. Correct. Yes. 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 So that's the only absolutely thing that we directly have connection. To. Yes. We're connected to all of these other qualities through that. Yes, by virtue of Malkut. Correct. So we're connected to all of God, but that's just the point. The the, the touch. That yeah, that would be the bridge, and then we can relate to everything, but through Malchut, exactly, as we say in in Ashrei, which comes from Psalms, Malchutcha, Malchut Kol Olamim. Your Malchut is the Malchut of all the worlds. In other words, the energy of Malchut is what really is sustaining all the worlds. So getting back to this core idea, getting back to this core idea that we're developing, there's a connection between Malchut and the moon and Malchut and feminine energy. What is the connection? Oh, so I was talking about the moon. So the moon shines at night when the sun's light is not going to reach the earth or that part of the earth. Right? It's nighttime. It's nighttime in Atlanta. In the 30342, as it were, right? And it's dark outside. The moon reflects the sun's light to a place where the sun is otherwise not going to reach on its own. That is the moon acting as a bridge, taking light that's not its own and delivering it to a place that is in need of that light that doesn't have light otherwise. That is the way that the moon serves as a, as a connection. Likewise, the role of the feminine energy or the, the mother, we'll just call it the mother, in creating life is likewise that bridge. If you think about it, how do you go from one life to the other life, right, to a, to a new life? You need malchut, you need, you need the mom, you need the mother to carry, right, to carry life, gestation, etc., and then to deliver life, right, to birth life. So literally the birthing is the birthing of the other, of someone new, of a new human being, happens through this, through this similar process. And that is malchut. Malchut, feminine, female, mother, life, being birthed, moon. It's all synonymous. It's all the same idea. It's going from one to the other. To go from one to the other, there is a state that receives, right, generates, cultivates, etc., and then births into being. That is what Malchut does, and that is what the moon does, and that is what a mother does. And so, the way, and we're going to jump into the text, to our text now, and, uh, and read chapter 5 in our text. And so, where we're going with this in, our, in the Mimer, in the discourse inside, is essentially to say that Malchut is the powerful energy that serves as a bridge between one dimension and the other. And because of that, Malchut has a 360 degree view of reality. It sees where things are coming from and where things are going. And it sees that the energy that exists in the lower world, in the lower realm, or in the other, is really all drawn from the higher world, its, its realm and above it. Does that make sense? Because Malchut is the bridge between one dimension and the other, so Malchut is always aware, Malchut is always aware that whatever goes down, thank you very much. Very nice. Thank you very much. You know what? You get rewarded with a cupcake. Look at that. Okay. So he's like the <laughs> between <laughs> breakfast and you. Yeah, so Shalom serves as a bridge between breakfast and me. He is the Malchut. 
And the cupcake yeah, eliminator. That uh, that's a good sign. I, I was going to eat that one, Thank you, Shalom. Uh, thank you. Hey, bring it back, please. Give him another one. Yaakov, there's plenty. <laughs> um, so here's... Thank you. So, <laughs> well, whoever wants a second round? If you don't take, I get insulted. You know, it's just a tiny little thing. It's no calories. Yeah, it's zero calorie cupcakes. Zero calories. It's new technology. <laughs> yes, the answer is moderation. I'm a diabetic. We all are diabetics. Well, enjoy your cupcakes. So here's the deal. So Malchut, because of its unique positioning, Malchut is always aware of what's before it and what's after it. It's the bridge. So it knows what comes before and what comes after. So if there's any doubt as to where this new world came from, who's the source of this new, where did this new world come from? Is it totally disconnected? Malchut says, no, 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 no. It's part of a whole hierarchy. This new world is not a brand new thing on its own. This, I made this, and it's from there, and it's, it's part of this continuum. It's not something brand new. It's not something disconnected from God, from God or divine energy. This is all part of a process. Malchut says, I see where this is going. The other energies say, if they could talk, if energies could talk, the other energies would say, oh, that down there? We have no idea where that came from. Right, these other energies, since they don't serve as the bridge, it's like one landmass looking at the other landmass and saying, you guys are totally disconnected from us. I don't know who you are, where you come from, or what you're about. These energies, let's just say Atsilut and Bria, the first two worlds, these energies in Atsilut look at Bria as foreign, as ungodly. Malchut says, not so fast. Everything down there, God is watching. Malchut says, Malchut says, everything down there is all coming from up there. It's all part of one continuum. Because one part, part of one continuum, it's all divine. It's all divine energy flowing down. Different le levels, different gradations, but all divine, all godly. Does that make sense? Yes? Malchut sees the big picture. It's kind of like the mother who sees in the child, who knows that that child is born from her, right? There's no doubt. Mother gives birth to a child, that's my child. With a father, it could be a little bit more complicated. We don't necessarily know always, right? How do we know? We don't always know. I should probably cue up uh, our good friend, good Jewish friend, Jerry Springer, right? We don't always know. That's the I know. That's why I said conjure up. Conjure We're doing a bit of a seance here. So godly energy is not aware of uh, other godly energy? These, Sorry. Worlds, these four worlds are not aware of each of themselves. The, mal the malchut points of the worlds are the ones that bridge everything together and make everything one continuum of, of, of divine energy and spirituality. The higher levels, they look at the lower world as, you guys are not godly. Like, what is that? Not, not, doesn't look at all like me. That looks totally, Bria looks nothing like Atzilut. Atzilut looks at Bria and says, who are you? Whereas Malchut says, I see you. I see you because I made you, because I bridged you. And I know that everything that you have is coming from me, but what's, what I gave you is coming from there. So everything there is really there. It's all the same line. But Malchut is the one that made that happen. Does so that, have more awareness than the Yes, other Malchut has an awareness of that, of, has a 360 degree view. So that's why, and, and that's why where we're going with this in chapter 5, is to say, 
that because of the unique role of Malchut, and because that's reflected in feminine energy, in motherhood, etc., therefore, women, or when, you, when we channel, and it's men and women, right, because everyone has Malchut within us as well, men and women, so when you channel your feminine energy, as it were, I don't know if that's the right term, uh, but this idea gives us a view or a perception and an appreciation that this world is also godly, that Hashem, that God is not, a, not just above and this world is disconnected below, but rather the divine energy is flowing all the way down through into this space. And therefore what makes this world tick is not nature, it's not accident, it's not happenstance, it's not haphazard. What makes this world tick is divine energy flowing all the way through. That is the core of emunah, core of faith. Faith is seeing the world and recognizing this too is a product of God. Who, which energy is most primed to perceive that? The masculine energy or the feminine energy? The answer is the feminine energy because feminine energy is always the energy that sees things through from beginning to end, from top to bottom, and seeing it through that continuum through Malchut. Now, to we're one of these worlds, right? We're the lowest. We are the lowest. We're at the bottom of the, of the food chain. So individuals in the world, are they just humans that have these qualities, or do all emanations in the world have these qualities? It says the human being is created in the image of God, right. so humans specifically have this template of ten powers. So we're at the lowest world. We don't have to see anything below us. Correct, but... We have to take from above. Ah, the key, yes, the key is to see that this world is connected with... With above, that God is really running the show. It comes down to a very simple question. Do I believe in nature? I don't mean like plants and trees. We all have, do I believe that nature runs the show, i.e. force of nature, or do I believe that Hashem runs the show? That's the question, right? Havaya Elohim. Do I believe that Elohim runs the show, nature, or that Havaya, who Elohim, that Hashem is Elohim, that nature is nothing but the power of God? Okay, but there's nothing below. Correct. In our world, no, we're at the bottom. We're at the bottom. The question is only, does above filter down here? Now, with that, yes, we're down there. Yeah, but but we're at the bottom of that of all the of all the papers. Now, let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen. This is chapter five. This is page number fifty. So please turn to page fifty in your booklets. Where am I here? Uh, share screen. Here we go. Souls from the feminine plane. Here we go. Now, oh, oh, oh. Let's pick this up in, the, in, in our text. As you recall, in chapter 4, it's, well, it's been a few weeks, but I'll remind everybody. In chapter 4, he said that how was the sin of the golden calf, how did that transpire? It's because, well, Moses didn't come down the mountain quick enough, whatever. But then what happened was the mixed multitude... Uh, the individuals that were steeped in Egyptian culture and worship and who worshipped the astrological signs, the mixed multitude said that it was never God who facilitated the exodus. It was rather the next uh, star down the line, the next constellation that beat up the previous constellation. The previous constellation in charge was, um, was Ares. Ares was the, was the god, one of the gods of the Egyptian uh, nation. It was the, the ram or the lamb, which is why we brought a, a paschal lamb to kind of symbolize the rejection of their God. Right? That's hence the paschal lamb. And so they believe that it wasn't the lamb or the ram 
that, sorry, that it wasn't God who had defeated Egypt, but it was rather the next constellation. After Aries is Taurus. In the list of constellations, you have Aries, and then the next month is Taurus. They believe that the Taurus defeated in the sky, right? These constellations, these battling stars, these battling zodiacs. So the Taurus defeated the Aries, and that's, and that's what happened. And that brought an end to Egyptian stronghold, and the Jews were able to go free. But it wasn't God. God is way beyond that. God is way up there. God's not getting involved. It's these stars that are fighting. That's what the ancients believed. That's what, that's what a non-monotheistic belief was for, for many times, that all of these forces in heaven were fighting, and that was affecting what, what was going on on planet Earth. So they felt that Taurus had defeated Ares, and that's why the, the e Egypt fell and the Jews got free. Therefore, to celebrate that defeat and the rise of Taurus, so we're going to make a golden calf because the Taurus is a bull, and if you make a bull, it's a little scary. So they made a little, uh, a little bull, a baby bull, a golden calf. That's what the mixed multitude believed. Basically, what they were saying is, God is not getting involved in what's happening. I think God, it's like, you know, when the World Series is going on, is God a Yankees fan or a Red Sox fan? Right? Red Sox. Right. Fine. I'm just saying, whatever one. But does God, does God really care about baseball or not baseball? So the person would say, God doesn't care about baseball. The, the mixed multitude said, God, God doesn't care about the Jewish people. God doesn't care about what's going on in the world. If one nation is oppressing another nation, if, if the Egyptians are enslaving the Jews, you think God cares? You think God, all the way at the top, cares about what's going on on planet Earth? God, God started it all. God has zero interest about what's going on, let alone zero interest in getting involved in what's going on. You think God facilitated the exodus? Are you kidding me? It was definitely the star constellation, Taurus, that defeated Ares. It's kind of like, right, how is God getting involved in world events? God is not, that was their conclusion, God is not getting involved in world events. And what he's about to say here is that that's why who served the, who worshiped the golden calf? The Jewish men. But the women were never involved in the worship of the golden calf. Why? Because women whose souls come from Malchut, because again, in, within, within the, the masculine-feminine dynamic, so men correspond to Zah, the six energies, the six red energies that are self-contained, whereas women correspond, the feminine energy corresponds to Malchut, which is birthing life and giving and connecting and bridging. So therefore, men who are up there, as it were, so the men said, God is up there and the world is down here and there's no bridge between the two. So yeah, God is up there. We believe in God conceptually, but what, what facilitated the exodus was probably Taurus and not God. Because why would God get involved in lowly earthly matters? Whereas the women said, are you kidding me? We know what it means to bring life into this world. We're the bridge, right? We're the bridge. We see how things start here and end up there. We see things all the way through. And the women said, it's the same God up there. It's the same God down here that's making everything happen. God facilitated the exodus. And therefore, it's not, we shouldn't worship the golden calf. We have to stay plugged into God. Let's read this inside. But weren't the women the ones that gave up their gold? No, no, no. The men took the jewelry. No, that's the point. The men took the jewelry. They never gave it up. I thought, oh, you see, Russell no. B. DeMille had it wrong. Nah, what did he know? All right, chapter 5. Let's do this inside. This is fabulous. Souls from the feminine plane. The women, however, rejected this explanation of, of Taurus and Aries and constellations facilitating everything, God not being involved. They rejected that and did not participate with the mixed multitude, refusing to give up their jewelry to make the calf. The women said, are you Meshuggah? Are you crazy? 
<laughs> you don't think God was involved? Are you bananas? This was because of, their, of the source of their soul. Sorry, this was because the source of their souls is in Nukva. Nukva means Nekeva, feminine. And his kingship has dominion over all. Um, namely, Malchut rules over all the 70 ministering angels in heaven. Malchut is the divine bridge that rules over everything in heaven and on earth as well, including the constellations. The women knew and sensed in their souls that there was no substance to the constellations and ministering angels to a greater degree than, than, than did the men sense it. For the men's souls are from the masculine plane. Zer Ampin of Atzilut. Zer Ampin is the six energies of that we see in the depiction, right? This first six energies of Atzilut, the highest world, which is utterly, let's continue on 52, exalted and elated, sorry, and elevated above and beyond the worlds of Bria, Yetzirah, and Asiya. In other words, the men's souls, men come from John Gray, was that his name? Uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Kabbalah says men are from Zah, women are from Malchut. Men are that that, that, that masculine plane, the six energies, they're all about self and not about the other. It's all about what I have and what I want and what I'm doing, etc. It's all about self. It's not about the bridge. And therefore, the men just see God as also above and aloof. Whereas the women saw something else that had a different perspective because their souls are coming from a different place. For this reason, let's continue, those who deny God's detailed supervision... Say, those who deny the fact that God is, is intimately involved in everything here on earth, say, His glory transcends the heavens. The heavens here representing Zav Atzilut, and He has abandoned the earth, the earth representing Malchut. So they say that, where is God? In Zav. God is above. God is not in Malchut. In other words, Malchut, and what's beneath Malchut, that's not God. There's there, there is God, and down there is not God. Therefore, the idolaters establish their calendars according to the sun, rather than the moon for the same reason. Notwithstanding that the sun is indeed superior to the moon. In other words, the light, obviously, of the sun is greater than the light of the moon. The moon doesn't have its own light. Yet, this is precisely the point. The error lies in saying that His glory transcends the heavens, that His glory is upon the spiritual realm which, with no role in the physical realm at all. Again, sun, so the masculine side, is Zah, first six energies, and the sun. The feminine side is Malchut, and the moon. Those are your two columns. If we were to make columns here, it would be masculine, feminine, Zah, Malchut, sun, moon. So the men who were tied into a masculine energy, who were tied into Zah, these other, these six, the first six powers, tied into self, didn't see the other, didn't see the bridge as also being divine. They worshipped the, uh, they worshipped the the golden calf, and thus. The nations of the world that are not in this space of seeing the, the continuum of divine energy into this world in such an intimate way, that the nations of the world typically have their, have their calendar set according to the sun, symbolizing that God is up there and we're down here and never near the twain shall meet. Let's continue. By contrast, the Jews established their calendar according to the moon, as if to declare that he is both God of the earth and God of the heavens. Again, the bridge, right? Because the moon is Malchut. The moon is the bridge between the two lights, the light of the sun and the earth. The, the moon bridges the two. And so the women who are connected, the Jewish women who are connected with this feminine energy, with Malchut, so they saw, um, uh, they saw, they saw this truth. And that's why Jews established, so we establish our calendar according to the moon.
Thus, although the earth is subordinate to the heavens, God looks down so low with detailed supervision upon heaven and earth equally. Indeed, precisely because God dwells on high, does He look down so low upon heaven and earth equally. For in truth, even the heavens are a descent and the degradation for Him. And what that means, what He's saying right now is, if you believe that, see, as I think the first session that we had a few months ago, probably three, four months ago on this text, I quoted Rabbi Freeman, who phrased this beautifully, Tzvi Freeman. He says um, that the philosophers were just trying to be nice to God. The philosophers believed in God, but they were trying to be nice to God. They said, God is so perfect, God is so pristine, there's no way that he's involved in such a murky, lowly, dark space like the world. There's no way that he's involved in this. So let's keep God perfect, i.e. keep him aloof, keep him separate, and all the ugliness, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the suffering in this world is disconnected from God. So God is perfect. Good cop, back. God is perfect and the world is flawed because God is not here. If God would be here, it would be perfect. God's not here. That's why it's imperfect. And so we're keeping the two separate. Whereas Judaism believes that that's not the case. That the same God that's up there in heaven is also here on earth. And the very, and I, the world is not perfect. Okay, it's because God wanted a co, a, a partnership with us to help make the world into a better place. So therefore God's not going to make it perfect by default. God's going to say, I'm here, but I want you to do some heavy lifting. It's like a partnership. Not one party does all the work. God says, I'm in tr- I'm, 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 I am joining up with you in this partnership. Let's make this world into a, into a space that we can all enjoy. But here's the big idea. The big idea that he's saying here is because God is so great, God is also here on earth. Because to say that God is not in any space, even in a lowly space, is to limit God's power. It's kind of like um, if you say that... Um, Classic example, a teacher who's a really brilliant teacher can't teach little kids. Why? Because the kids won't be able to understand the lesson. Like Einstein, could he teach third grade science? Yes, to dumb it down. It's to dumb it down. Right, the greater you are, the lower you can bring it down. It says about King Solomon, the wisest of all men, says that he was able to give 3,000 parables for a concept. 3,000 examples. So Kabbalah asked the question, 3,000 examples, what? He was, (laughs) parallel examples, why is that so great? He says, no, he was able to bring down a concept, a very lofty concept, down 3,000 different levels. Here, 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 all the way down to the simplest idea, to the simplest point, maybe put it into a a one one, uh, um, frame comic or one sentence or one word or whatever it is to take this down. I don't know if you call it dumb it down, but, re, but, but, but bring it down all the way to the lowest space. And so the, the, the mark of greatness is not how high you can go. It's how low you can go. And so the mark of, of divine greatness is not that God is in the heavens. The philosophers said, God is so great, we have to keep him up there. They were making God not great by doing that. They're saying God can only exist in heaven. And that paradoxically reduces God to a one-trick pony, to a one-hit wonder. Little ace of base, right? Now God, I saw the sign, <laughs> right? So now you have, I don't know, so now, were they one-hit wonders? Did they have, kind of? Maybe two. Maybe two, maybe two. <laughs> maybe two. Who had two? Just one. All right, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. The philosophers thought that we want to we wanna keep God great. So God's up there. God's no way that God's down here. Down here is all this other stuff that's in control. But by doing so, by trying to make God great, they made God small. Their conception 
ended up with a God that's really small. God can only exist there. This is going to scare him. God can only exist there. Whereas the God, God's, the way we understand God in Judaism is, no, 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 God is so big, God's here as well. That's the point. Look at that last line. Indeed, the, of, this, of the top paragraph on 54, the second paragraph, wow, the first paragraph of 54, second line. Indeed, precisely because God dwells on high, does he look down so low upon heaven and earth equally. For in truth, even the heavens are a descent and degradation for him, which means that heaven is also low to God, as it were, but God's in heaven, God's on earth as well, because God is so big, God is infinite. God is in both spaces simultaneously. Women are rooted specifically in Malchut, and thus are similar to the moon, which waxes and wanes every month, like their feminine cycle, as every 30 days they become impure and then are sanctified, and are then sanctified. Consequently, right, so he, he parallels, he parallels the idea of the wax and waning of the moon with the, with the feminine cycle, which is this, this potential for life, and then the, the shedding of the potential of life, etc., which is, again, this waxing and waning, this filling and then this diminishing. Consequently, they did not, since women are connected with Malchot, the Malchot's connected with the bridge between higher and lower realities, with seeing the whole continuum. Therefore, they did not accede to the mixed multitude regarding the calf. They said, baloney, right? Unlike the men who are from the masculine plane and so did not reject the mixed multitude. So now we have clarity on, on this entire subject. And the clarity, and we're about to get to the last paragraph, but I just want to set this up. The clarity we have now is why it is that when you look at the sin of the golden calf, only the men were involved. And in general, throughout the Torah, throughout the five books of Moses, whenever there's a re rebellion, a revolt, a complaint, there's no water, where's God, why did he take us into the desert, blah, 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 we should go back to Egypt. It was always the men, it was never the women. One time, there was the women. Which time? When they were dividing up the land. The that wasn't, no, that wasn't a complaint. That wasn't, I don't see God here. No, no, the men's complaints that I just stated were ones in which the men said, we don't see God, we've lost faith, we're panicking. Okay. The women, Salafka's daughters, didn't panic. They just said, on the contrary, we believe in God, we want a piece of the land. We want a piece of the pie. Why are we cut out? So what was the punishment for the ego? Was it the 40-year wonder? It was the 40-year wonder. Um, no, 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 you're right. You're right. The sin of the golden calf was, the punishment was that um, the ones that were directly involved in instigating they, it, they, they perished. And the rest of them were given a stern warning never to do that again. Because my question is, if <laughs> yeah. the women weren't involved, right. why were they involved in the punishment? But they weren't involved. No, they weren't. The no, they weren't. On the contrary. As Only if the wandering 40 years was the punishment. On the contrary, they got rewarded from the sin of the golden calf because of their lack of participation. What's the reward? Last paragraph. For this reason, the holiday of Rosh Chodesh, which is the holiday of the moon and time of its ascent. In other words, when it... I said that in... You did. This is a softball pitch. Pow! was given more to women than to men. That's what today is. Today is Rosh Chodesh. Today is, the, is, the, is, a, is a, a, a women's holiday. And although women are generally exempt from time-bound, from all time-bound positive commands, the observance of Rosh Chodesh does not fall into this category, since their souls, like the moon, are rooted in the feminine plane. And that's how this entire discourse ends. And the punchline is that the reason... The women never got involved in any of the drama in the five books of Moses is because their souls are literally rooted in a place 
that is synonymous with faith. Faith is a feminine quality. Faith means, the way Judaism defines faith is, I see God right here. I don't see God as somewhere theoretical or somewhere else, and therefore I'm panicking. Where's God? I feel alone. Faith means I see God right here. Whose souls see God right here? It's the feminine souls that see God right here. Feminine souls see God right here. Why? Because they see, because Malchut sees the source all the way through to the other side. The feminine souls see God at the top and all the way through to this very world, all the way through everything that happens. That is the idea of divine providence, seeing God in every area of our lives. When you see God, you don't ask the question, where's God? It's when you think of God as up there, that's a masculine perspective, God is up there, then you wonder, where's God? I don't see God. Then you panic. That's when it's like, there's no water, it's hot in this desert, Moses doesn't ask for directions, we've been wandering for 40 years, right? We're panicking, he's, he's up on the mountain, he came down a day late, oh no, he abandoned us. All of that panic, all of that panic is a masculine quality. We call it masculine panic, male panic. Male, huh? It's male panic. Male panic is, uh, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. God is up there. We're abandoned. Now that we could have, should have stayed in Egypt, right? Everything's falling apart. And the, the feminine faith says, stop falling apart. Stop falling apart. God is there. God is here. It's the same God. Havaya, Elohim. Malchut is the bridge. It sees the whole, the 360 degree picture. It sees God as a continuum. God's energy flows all the way through down to this space. The women never panicked. Moses is a day late. Big deal, right? You counted wrong, right? You don't have water. You believe in God or not? God's here with us. Why are we panicking? If God is here, if God is, if God is driving this car, flying this plane, piloting this, captaining this ship. That's my little captain hat over so there. Because you're wondering. Once I was hold on, middle of a sentence. So if God is piloting this ship, then I'm not panicked. It's when I think I'm driving. That's when I get freaked out. If I'm driving, oh man, I'm not a great driver. I'm a pretty decent driver, but not on that level. If I think that I'm in, if I think I'm in charge or someone else is in charge, absolute panic. Then absolutely panic. Why? Because any of us are going to get this right? No way. But if Hashem's in charge, now we have hope. The women never bought into any of the Mishagas of the men. The men are like, oh, there's no water. Oh, the water's bitter. Oh, Moses is not here. Oh, this, that, or the other. Always panic, panic, panic. Throughout the five books of Moses. It's always the men, not the women. And he says, you know why? Because the women are rooted in Malchut. And Malchut is, feminine energy is Malchut. And Malchut sees the truth from beginning to end. Sees God below as above. And therefore the women never panic. And thus, Rosh Chodesh, which is the moon holiday, which is moon is representative of Malchut, which is faith. The moon holiday is connected with whom? With the women. With women. And that's why today, Rosh Chodesh, women have an ancient custom not to work. So if anyone asks you to do anything, you say, Rabbi Solish told me, Rabbi Ari told me, not today. <laughs> There's no work today. No, but really, the women, it, it, traditionally in, in, Jewish, in Jewish custom, women, uh, women um, reduce work. No, you could, huh? 
It's so don't listen to you. <laughs> no, no. Look, the thing is like this. It's not like it's not like a Shabbat. It's not like a Shabbat where you don't where you're not allowed to do any work. It's more of a custom to reduce a little bit of work and to observe and to connect with the day. That's why there are women's groups that get together, Rosh Chodesh or before Rosh Chodesh, like we do here, Rosh Chodesh Society. There's different ways to observe it, but one way is to literally make it a little bit more spiritual and less mundane, like a Shabbat, like a holiday where you work a little bit less. Uh, so maybe it's not a cessation of all work, but just reduce a little bit. It also makes it easy. It's on a Sunday. So like, Take them out for dinner. Yeah. But I have a question. So in other words, Mother's Day is not really Mother's Day. It's really... Women's Day, Feminine Day, and it's once a month, not once a year. Right. Someone tell Hallmark they can sell more cards. <laughs> America's greetings. But if, if men were the source of all the drama, yeah. when the, did that change? The cause At of the all the drama. The cause of all the drama. When right. did that change? At the destruction of the base of Mikdash? Because it's a complete flip now. Aren't women the source of all drama? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but, but. My experience has been. Quite I, the I will tell you my experience whenever I teach a class that is about, primarily about spirituality, spirit, like heavy spirituality, the ratio is reflected in the ratio. Not that men don't come. But you see there is a, there's an amuna, there's a faith that women have. Guys also have, listen, I'm, I, right? I, but there's a faith, there's something innately spiritual in the feminine energy. And again, just to clarify, I've been saying this disclaimer, you know, uh, consistently. Men and women have these ten powers of the soul, which means men have malchut as well, which is that feminine capacity. But again, it's about it's about shades of 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 priority and what's what's magnified. Yeah. Uh, in women, they have practice uh, waiting for people because they're like, oh, you're freaking out because you didn't show after 30 days. Well, we've been waiting for this kid for nine months, and he's a couple weeks late, and we're not right. making like a brass, a golden bambino. We're not worshiping the bambino. Correct. Well said. Well said. Women are like, yeah, I know it's a process. Yeah, it's a process. It may take a while. Right? It might be a pregnant pause in between, as it were. Little patience, little patience. Take it easy. We see the bigger picture. Yeah. You need a little seichel. A little seichel doesn't, doesn't hurt. <laughs> Intelligence. Intelligence. Common sense. Right, that's better. Common sense is, is a better explanation. So as we get ready, so this concludes our discourse. Next Sunday, just a quick scheduling note, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this up, but just so we have clarity. So we just finished our text which means that the next time we meet, we're going to start a brand new text, which I will announce, which is going to be incredible. But next week, we're not meeting because it is the day. Well, it's the day. It's Memorial Day. Memorial Day weekend. And it's the day after Shavuot. And we're not meeting next week. The fall. So in two weeks, we're going to pick it up with a brand new series. So join me then. But here's how I want to conclude this one. The message really my takeaway is not men versus women and you know, it's not gender wars. or it's not, That's not what we're talking about today. That's not what this discourse really means. What this discourse means is, how do we each channel our inner malchut? How do we, each on our own, channel that sense within ourselves that is, able to, that, that is able to tell ourselves that even when we, even when things look a little dark or look a little uh, divinely absent, to believe that God is right here in that pain. God is right here in that challenge. God is right here in the struggle. That's the question that we each need to ask ourselves. How, what, what exercise, spiritual exercise, do I need to do for myself 
to ensure that I remain calm. Like those memes, stay calm and right, and howl at the moon or whatever it is, like stay in this context, stay calm and, and, and remember this lesson that Hashem is with us. Havaya is Elohim. Judaism is fundamentally of a different belief than other beliefs, the polytheism, than pagan worship, which believed in all of these other forces that had control, that have power. Judaism believes that only God is in control. Even when things look out of control, even when things look chaotic, God is here, God is with us. That was the message that God delivered to Moses, even at the beginning at the, gold, at, at, the, at, the, at the burning bush. The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. It might be on fire, it might look bleak, but it's not being consumed because God is in control. The Jews may be in slavery, but the Jewish people will never disappear. The Jews have gone through tremendous suffering and pain and pogroms and holocausts and arudifas and uh, inquisitions, etc. throughout the history of the Jewish people. Nonetheless, we're still here. I'm Yisrael Chai. And the reason why we're still here is because Hashem is with us and, Hashem, and, because, and because of our faith in Hashem. Hashem has never abandoned us ultimately and we have never abandoned Him. We're still here today. We're still here studying Torah together. And this week we're going to celebrate Shavuot, Thursday night into Friday, and Friday night into Saturday, we're going to be celebrating the, the celebration of the giving of the Torah at Sinai. If there's one message that we can take from this holiday and from this text is that Hashem is present here on earth. And not only that, but He's given His wisdom to us here on earth so as we implement His will right here where we are. So I want to wish everybody a Chag Sameach. Happy, happy Shavuot and looking forward to continuing studying Torah together. Now, a quick announcement, scheduling announcement for this week. Wednesday night, we have a very special pre-Shavuot lecture. It's called Torah in 23. That's like 2023. Torah and its messages for a modern world. Wednesday night, right here at 7.30 p.m. with Rabbi Levi Weinberg, who's coming in all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa, to join us. So he will be speaking on that topic, Torah in 23. It's a free event open to the community. Join us and spread the word. He's a great speaker, a brilliant mind, a scholar, an author, and, uh, and that's going to happen Wednesday night. Thursday night, we have all-night Torah study starting at 11.30 p.m. So the first two hours, we have TED Talks, or Torah Talks, 15-minute uh, Power Talks from eight incredible speakers. That is going to go from 11.30 to 1.30 a.m. at 1.30 a.m., we have the option of study groups on various topics of Torah, and you can stay for as short or as long as you wish. Pro tip, take a little nap on Thursday day, afternoon or whatever it is, get a little bit more Z's, drink some Red Bull, and join us Thursday night. It's going to be a party. Refreshments, strong coffee, tea if that's your jam, jam if that's your tea, whatever it is, and join us Thursday night for the learning Friday morning services, Friday lunch. We have lunch here at the synagogue, and the party rolls on. All right, that's all my announcements for right now. Yes. What are we supposed to eat next Sunday morning? <laughs> You're saying, if not this, then what? I don't know. We forgot. I know. I don't have. How dare we? We may. We there may be the breakfast anyway for the kolel. But they should have an early minion. I'm surprised they don't have an early minion on um, Friday. I know. I was also surprised. 
Yeah. I mean, they should be like a Hashgama minion, 5 a.m.? Is that people going to learn till 9.30? No, 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 no. People are going to go home and sleep and then come back. I'm with you. I actually asked uh, some of the rabbis why that's not done. Oh, that's not good here. You know why? Because then we won't have the crowd for lunch. Maybe. Because what used to do, I used to do at Ariel is 6 o'clock. They, they have a breakfast? And they had a breakfast? No, you went home. And then came back? Sleep. You didn't come back to Shafras. You didn't yeah. come back to Minnesota. Thanks. Thanks. Um, all right, and then stay tuned. As I mentioned, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to bring it up with uh, the, the leadership. Um, regarding the next text, again, as I mentioned, stay tuned. I'll send out an email with the next text coming up, and in two weeks, we'll pick it up. It's going to be a lot of fun. So this is, it's very ancient. I mean, this goes back. Before you know, I heard the only reason I asked. Yeah. It seems, as all the discussion, that Mafia should be in the middle. As the bridge between all the rest Well, no, because it's the bridge between this reality and the reality beneath it. If you get another page, so then it's like, it's this and then this. So this is the bridge between the next world down and then that's the bridge to the next world down, and then the next world down. Is a bridge not uh, necessary to go from those that are personal to those that are interpersonal with the groups? Right, so no, good question. The way we understand this is all of this is inside, and then you have this one that's moving to outside, and then it's this is giving to the next level, and then it goes again through this process, and then... That was the only reason most of what you were saying was the communication factor between two Within these, yeah. I guess that's why you have these lines. There is an interconnectedness within this group itself. This is specifically for the next, the next man down or the next, next dimension down. Yeah. Good to see you. How you feeling? All good? You're looking great. Baruch Hashem. The scooter. Every day. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. One thing I learned from the Rabbi, and that was tomorrow is something where no one's all over. That's true. Who was the Rabbi that they brought up from Hold on once. Give me one second. Alex, before you go, give you a hug. <laughs> one second, one second. You're going to kill me with all this love. <laughs> That's my goal. Not to kill you, though. <laughs> yes. What day of the week? Yeah, we should do the mezuzah. We're going thing. out of town next weekend. Okay. And then we come back. Like, we have a, can a you, long period. Can you shoot me an available. email? And that way I'll, I'll look down, I'll, I'll look at the calendar, and then I'll speak with Leah, and then we'll get it. We'll get something. We'd love that. Okay, awesome. Yes. Good. Great to see you. Give my best to your mom and hope everyone's doing great. All right. Pleasure. Let me just say, let me just sign out. Mariana, great to see you. Lisa and John, great to see you guys. Chag Sameach. Thank you very much. Beautiful class. Chag Sameach. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Chag Sameach. And my best to everybody. See you guys. Take care. Take the cupcakes home for your wife so she could celebrate this lovely woman's holiday. Thank you. That's very kind. That's very kind. What a mensch.
Hey, we're second place. <laughs> <laughs> it's the least we could do. Hey. Four. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Right, yes. Right. So it's uh, the Torah Center of Atlanta. I know, I know a story. It's Zev Kitsis, right? Yeah, so I know a few stories, but I, 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 I didn't find anything like... Um, yeah, I mean, he was a chassid. He's buried right next to him. Right, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Pen? No. I usually just like use blood. <laughs> You Right. I think thank you, Hashem. That's right. It's like Guardian Angel. It may be very you know, very simplistic. Yeah. But it's like and someone did tell me I don't see, I don't know how much safe to put it this way, how much right. that they see a white light around me. Oh wow. Somebody Somebody told me this. My I don't know how true it is. Okay, but that's nice to my hear. My mother is watching that. My mother is watching Wow. Okay. That's very nice. Am I supposed to believe this? Can't hurt. <laughs> Can't hurt. <laughs> not a bad thing. If someone said the opposite, that would be a little, uh, a little not, not great to hear. Absolutely, late night learning. It's like a night 